Today is Tuesday, June 21st, and this is VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Coming up in the next half hour, a top EU diplomat says supplying Ukraine with military equipment is key to alleviating global food crisis. Some of the equipment is already being sent to, to Ukraine, and we're seeing that not from the equipment side, but from the Russian losses side. Child malnutrition rises in Ethiopia amid historic drought. Of more than 2 million livestock dead in the last 7-8 months. So, are these people, they entirely depended on this livestock. They can sell it for food. And militant Islamic rebels kill 132 civilians in central Mali. We'll have these stories and more next on International Edition. Stay tuned. At a meeting of European Union diplomats in Luxembourg, Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabriel Landsbergis said that supplying Ukraine with military equipment is key to alleviating a global food crisis. This, as the European Commission recommended, that Ukraine be granted EU's candidate status, a first step towards EU membership for the war-torn country. We have to be serious about defending defending the force. Some of the equipment is already being sent to, to Ukraine, and we're seeing that not from the equipment side, but from the Russian losses side. But this is actually what is what is needed. Unfortunately, there is no other way. There's no other way to, to open up uh, Odessa and other, other ports in the south of, of Ukraine. That's Lithuanian Foreign Minister Gabriel Landsbergis. As the war grinds on and the threat of global hunger increases, European Union Foreign Policy Chief Josep Borrell has called on Russia to lift its blockades of Iranian ports. I am sure that the United Nations will at the end reach an agreement. It's inconceivable. One cannot imagine. One cannot imagine that uh, millions of tons of wheat remain blocked in Ukraine while in the rest of the world people are suffering hunger. This is a real war crime. That's European Union Foreign Policy Chief Josep Borrell. In his latest battleground intelligence report on Monday, the UK Ministry of Defense said Russia ground and tactical air operations remain focused on central Donbass. Ukraine's President Vladimir Zelensky also predicted Russia will escalate its attacks this week. This as European Union leaders consider whether to back his country's bid to join the bloc, and Russia presses its campaign to win control of eastern Ukraine. Flashpoint's host Steve Miller speaks with reporter Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. The whole Donbass area is quite intensive in terms of fightings and of course we have to concentrate on Severodonetsk because this is the hottest point but still we should at the same time not forget that Donbass area in general is under quite a lot of fightings and artillery especially attacks from the Russian side. So if we look in general we can see that the activity is enhancing and what Ukrainian officials are saying and expecting that this week EU will be voting for giving Ukraine uh, a candidacy membership in the EU and the Ukrainian officials are expecting an even more intensifying fightings because of that, because of course Russia is not happy and normally this is exactly what's happening when important decisions in terms of Ukrainian-European integration are on the way. Russia starts to attack more and attack especially civilian society. So this week is very, very tough and expected 
quite huge fightings are expecting and all civilians are asked to be very careful and to be very attentive when, especially when air raid sirens are on. So Anna, if we take a closer look at Severodonetsk, that key city in the east, what can you tell us about the fighting that's been going on for some time? Severodonetsk, huge fightings and remains the toughest point. Unfortunately, today Ukrainian forces lost some territories near Severodonetsk. We know from the official announcements by Ukrainian side that there is information that Russian forces are ordered to get to the administrative border of Severodonetsk by June 26. This is according to what Ukrainian intelligence is finding out and confirming. So this is probably also could be as a reason and uh, explanation why fightings are intensifying so much. And in Severodonetsk in particular, that more and more attacks are happening and more and more people are involved. So this is in general. And of course, we should not also forget about Izum because Izum remains, you know, this point in the middle that, that keep at one point defending around, but at the same point, Russians are trying to go forward and move towards uh, Slovyansk. That's Flashpoint Ukraine host Steve Miller speaking with reporter Anna Chernikova in Kyiv. China's special envoy to the Horn of Africa, Xu Bing, has said Beijing is ready to help the region countries find peace and get rid of what it called external interference. Xu made the comments at China and the Horn of Africa's first governance and development conference in Addis Ababa, Ethiopia, Halima Tumani reports. At a meeting with six Horn of Africa countries held in Addis Ababa Monday, China noted that regional turbulence and division are on the rise. Zhu Bing, China's special envoy to the Horn of Africa, noted that the Cold War mentality and power politics has resurfaced, while peace and development are being met with resistance. Even though China has been a long-time trade partner in Africa, this is the first time it appears to have intervened in the politics of African countries, a change in policy for China. Zhu says early this year, China's outlook on peace and development for the Horn of Africa focused on the region's reality and its past experience and is aimed at helping countries in the region to get rid of external interference. China will continue to support countries in the region to uphold the vision of common, comprehensive, cooperative and sustainable security, protect regional peace and security, and silence the guns in the Horn of Africa. Ambassador Ridwan Hussein, National Security Advisor to Prime Minister Abiy Ahmed, noted that countries in the Horn need to employ different approaches to solve the challenges of poverty, drought, illegal immigration and refugees, terrorism, climate change, internal displacements and the consequences of war. The nexus between peace and security development is too obvious to be elaborated here making the region free from the burdens of war and conflict, and ensuring peace and security remain the priority of all priorities. The people of the region had suffered enough, and it is incumbent upon us to resort to a civilized, mature way of addressing our difficulties and differences. During his official visit to Kenya in January, the Chinese Foreign Minister Wang Yi said conflicts and instability in the Horn of Africa, including Ethiopia, Somalia and Sudan, threaten China's substantial investments in Eastern Africa. Zhu spelled out the choices African countries needed to make. Do we choose war or peace, unrest or development, confrontation or cooperation? This is a question that must be answered 
by all of us. China stressed that it has all along been convinced that countries in the Horn have the critical resolution to seek strength through solidarity and a political wisdom to resolve differences through dialogue and consultation. Halima Athmani for VA News, Addis Ababa. Leaders from East African countries are meeting in the Kian capital to decide whether to deploy regional troops against armed rebels in the Eastern Democratic Republic of Congo. Fighting between the DRC's army and M23 rebels threatens to spread after the rebels recently seized new territory and the DRC accused Rwanda of supporting the rebels. Kinshasa has said it will not accept Chigali's participation in the East African Community Force. Mohamed Yusuf reports from VOA's Africa News Center in Nairobi. Kenya on Monday hosted leaders from the East African Community Bloc for discussions on how to stop renewed fighting in the Democratic Republic of Congo. The insecurity in the region is heightening tension between Congo and Rwanda. Congo accuses its neighbor of supporting the M23 rebel group, a claim denied by Rwanda. M23 has fought for years to control rich gold and platinum mines found in eastern Congo, where other rebel groups from Rwanda and Uganda are also active. Tension moved higher recently when a Congolese army soldier was killed inside Rwanda after firing at security forces at the border post. Joel Baraka is a conflict and resolution researcher at the Paul Institute, a Congolese think tank. He says Congo's government sees the ESC as the best route for easing regional tensions. President Felix Tshisekedi, he says, is putting political trust and importance in the East African community to bring a solution to the crisis and peace in the Eastern DRC. He says Congo also sees Kenya as a mediator between the three countries, including Rwanda and Uganda. At the meeting in Nairobi, leaders will discuss sending troops from East Africa to help quell violence. Last week, Kenyan President Uhuru Kenyatta called on deploying regional forces from EAC members, which include Burundi, Kenya, Rwanda, South Sudan, Tanzania and Uganda, and Congo, which joined in March. Researcher and political analyst Ntanyoma Rukumbuzi says the Congolese army cannot be left alone to solve the armed conflict in the country. Uh, but in case this should will be a, 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 a well-coordinated force uh, under the watch of the UN, uh, but also uh, the AU, uh, I would suggest that um, at some point we need to end the crisis in Eastern DRC. We won't expect the Congolese National Army to tackle by itself the crisis because largely it's part of the crisis. The regional bloc is considering a plan to deploy troops in three Congolese provinces, North Kivu, South Kivu and Ituri. Baraka says Congolese will not accept the troops in his territory. He says, I don't think people will accept the truth because there is some opposition to these forces in the parliament. Civil society groups are opposing it and they won't accept any forces that involve Rwanda and Ugandan troops. Amani Tom, a social justice activist, agrees. He says regional leaders have denied his country peace. He says we have security forces from the United Nations peacekeeping mission and many times forces from Rwanda and Uganda come here to find peace, but there has been no peace. 
He says, I think for us to get peace in Eastern DRC, the entire country, hypocrisy from the Great Lake leaders must stop and the economic war must stop so that we can build long-lasting peace. The humanitarian agencies say more than 25,000 people have fled from their homes and 5,000 displaced persons and returnees fled to Uganda in the last five days. The security situation has made it difficult for aid agencies to assess the humanitarian needs of those affected by the conflict. Mohamed Yusuf for VA News, Nairobi. In other news, recent attacks by jihad rebels in central Mali have killed 132 civilians, the government announced on Monday. A government statement said killings happened when several villages in the Bakas area were attacked on Saturday and Sunday. The government said the attacks were carried out by rebels of the Katiba group. The attacks show that Islamic extremist violence is spreading from Mali's north to more central areas like Bankas. For several weeks, extremist rebels in central Mali have been blocking the road between northern city of Gawa and Mopti. For more on this story and other breaking news, visit our website at voaafrica.com. Remember to connect with us on social media. We are on Twitter, Facebook and Instagram. Search for VOA Africa. You are listening to VOA's International Edition. I am Chinedofo in Washington. Child malnutrition rates across eastern Ethiopia have soared in recent months as the country copes with a once-in-a-lifetime drought, conflict and displacement of hundreds of thousands of people. 185,000 children are estimated to be suffering from the most severe form of malnutrition. Ahmed Abdirazik is Save the Children's Area Operations Manager for the eastern region of Ethiopia. He tells VOA's Carol Van Dam that in all his 19 years with the humanitarian agency, he has never seen malnutrition among Ethiopian children this bad. Of more than 2 million livestock death in the last uh, seven, eight months. So, and these people, they entirely depended on the, on this livestock. They can sell it for food. They can slaughter for, for meat. You know, they, they, they used to, or milk it. This is, you know, all, uh, the cases, uh, the increasing cases are things that are related to food insecurity in the area. Thank you. Besides the drought, I, I imagine there's other things that are contributing to the food insecurity. Can you go into that a little? Yes, but thank you for that good question. Food prices are also skyrocketing. This is some, uh, you know, it's related to also the, the market inflation that we have in, in the country because of the, uh, what do you call, uh, the conflict in, in Europe between Russia and Ukraine, you know, the food pipeline have, have been distorted since then. And then pastoralists used to buy a bag of rice with one goat. Now, you cannot even do it with with three. You know, this is a mix of price increase on the food on the other side and also a decrease in livestock price because of, you know, what the, the, the drought is causing to the livestock. And I understand that in the Shabel zone, especially the Somali region, it's it's really hard hit. What's going on there with the nomadic region of people? You know, in Somali region, you know, the Somali region is facing the worst drought in, in 40 years. And if you look at what focus say, this will even, this will surely be recorded as the worst ever should the upcoming rains also fail as, as, as focus suggests. So, Shabele zone is one of the worst affected among the 11 zones we have in, in Somali region. The first being Dawa and the second being 
being uh, Shabelle zone. So drought this time is different because of its large geographic coverage. We are talking of, you know, almost three quarter of the Somali region with no less than 3.5 million affected, out of which more than 1.6 million are children. I understand that you spoke to one man named Ahmed from that area who is a father of seven, lives in the uh, Somali region of Ethiopia, and um, he lost all his livestock in the drought. So he left his village with his children in search of food and water, and he says he has nothing to feed his children. Is this a common type of incident there now? Yeah, it is something that is common among all the pastoralist communities. That's Ahmed Abdirizak, Save the Children's Area Operations Manager for Eastern Region of Ethiopia. He was speaking from Addis Ababa with my colleague Carol Van Dam. Greek Coast Guard vessels are scouring the Aegean, searching for at least four asylum seekers, now missing, after more than 100 people crammed into a rickety sailboat and ventured on a dangerous sea crossing from Turkey. Authorities said the remaining migrants were rescued in choppy waters of the island of Delos. An investigation is underway to determine the course and course of the perilous journey, which Athens fear may mark the start of a new migration crisis, engineered, as it alleges, by the government in Ankara. Anthi Karasava reports from Athens. Cries of help and despair. 24 women, 63 men and 21 children left adrift on high seas in a sailboat taking in water for hours in the heart of the Aegean. The rickety craft was towed to a port on the nearby island of Mykonos, but authorities say they will continue their search for the asylum seekers who are believed to have fallen off the boat as it encountered gale-force winds and choppy waters during the crossing from Turkey. Survivors say no life vests were available on the sailboat, nor was the vessel equipped with a lifeboat. The nationalities of the refugees have yet to be determined. But Greek authorities voicing concern about the incident say they have already launched an investigation. Greece has long been the main route for migrants into the European Union. While the number of illegal entries has dropped dramatically since a refugee crisis saw more than a million Syrians spilling into Europe in 2016, Greece fears a new migratory push may be in the making. Νότις Μηταράκης, Greece's Migration Minister, explains. Υπάρχει αυτό το σκηνικό που έχουμε δει τις τελευταίες εβδομάδες που προσπαθούν σε κάποιες νησίδες που έχουν δημιουργηθεί. He says we have noticed in recent weeks increased activity along the border where Turkish forces push, even escort migrants to specific outcrops, forcing Greek authorities to come, pick them up and bring them into Greece. This all shows, the minister says, that there is an orchestrated activity in the making by the authorities there. These aren't just random migratory movements. On Sunday, Mitarakis urged Turkey to take stronger measures to avert migratory flows from swelling into Europe anew. But with tensions between the two rivals growing in recent months, pundits and politicians in Athens say they fear that Ankara may spark a fresh migration crisis in order to push for greater rights in the oil and minerals-rich Aegean Sea. Turkey also wants Greece to stop blocking its bid to win more defense contracts from the United States. Turkey hosts more than 3 million mainly Syrian refugees, and Athens fears any sudden migratory push would spell serious trouble for Greece, a country of 10 million, at the peak of its tourism season. Accusations of migrant mistreatment also face Greece. Antikarasava for VOA News, 
Athens. This is Science in a Minute. One of the most mysterious and fascinating celestial objects is a black hole. Thanks to today's advanced astronomical technology, scientists are learning more as they make incredible discoveries. A team of astronomers led by researchers at the Australian National University in Canberra say that they've recently found the fastest growing black hole of the past 9 billion years. They say that the supermassive black hole, identified as J1144, eats the amount of material comparable to one Earth every second. It's so luminous that the team says it glows about 7,000 times brighter than all the light from the Milky Way. J1144 has a reported mass of approximately 2.6 billion suns and is located in the constellation Centaurus. I'm VOA's Rick Pantaleo. Thank you, Rick. To all our VOA listeners, please note we have moved our programs to a new website, voaafrica.com, from voanews.com. There you will find all your favorite VOA radio and TV programs and a whole lot more. Find us on voaafrica.com, and thanks for listening. This has been International Edition on The Voice of America. On behalf of the entire production team, thank you so much for listening. Visit our website for in-depth coverage of world events and news 24 hours a day at voaafrica.com. Until next time, I am Chino Rofo in Washington. Have a great day. An editorial reflecting the views of the United States government. Friday, June 3rd, marked 100 days since Russian President Vladimir Putin instigated a massive deadly war against Ukraine. Over the last weeks and months, Putin waged a brutal war against the people of Ukraine. The Russian military specifically targeted non-combatants, apartment buildings, railroad stations, schools, and hospitals. Thousands died and millions more were displaced. The United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees estimates that two of every three Ukrainian children were displaced from their homes. In the 100 days since Russia's full-scale invasion began, the UNHCR registered nearly 7 million border crossings out of Ukraine. But the Ukrainians are fighting back, and they have had success. They are regaining ground lost in the initial days of Russia's assault. They have liberated towns and villages, pushing back the invaders, recording the horrible atrocities committed by Russia's forces. And where just a few months ago Ukrainians crossed borders to safety, they are now returning to help rebuild their country. At least two million have already returned to Ukraine, according to the UNHCR. In the 100 days since Russian President Putin ordered his forces to further invade Ukraine, the world has seen the courage and determination of the people of Ukraine as they fight for their country, said Secretary of State Antony Blinken. The United States, along with our friends and allies, stands by Ukraine and offers maximum support.
Since February 24th, the United States has provided more than $6.3 billion of security, humanitarian, and economic assistance to help Ukraine prevail, said Secretary Blinken. We again call on President Putin to immediately end this conflict and all the suffering and global upheaval his war of choice has caused. Neither the United States nor our allies and partners seek to prolong the war to inflict pain on Russia. We greatly respect the citizens of Russia who are not our enemy and who deserve a better future than what continued war and increasing repression will bring, he said. To the families of Ukraine who have lost loved ones, who have been separated by violence, whose villages, apartments, schools, and hospitals have been hit by bombs, shells, and missiles, who have been sent to and survived Russia's so-called filtration camps, the United States stands with you. We will help you defend your sovereignty and territorial integrity, and we will help you rebuild when this war is over. That was an editorial reflecting the views of the United States government.